Jonathan Armstrong from Cordray here in London. With me is Eric Sinrod for this week's Tech Law 10. And Eric, when I was a child, I used to play video games and you are always craving immunity. ISVs are still after this. Talk to us about it. <laughs> You're still a child. <laughs> this is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris. We're here with your weekly Tech Law 10, of course. Um, yeah, good point. So when I teach tech law at the university level, I tell the students in the first class, if you're going to learn any statutory provision relating to tech law, it's going to be Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. So Jonathan, long ago and far away back in Internet time in the mid-1990s, Congress was considering how closely should Internet service providers be regulated. And essentially, Congress determined that it was in the best interest of the United States as a country not to burden ISPs with restrictions. Why? So the Internet could grow and flourish in all sorts of areas as it's happened, commerce, communications, and education. Thus, Section 230 of the CDA was enacted. And what does it do? It provides broad immunities for ISPs with respect to third-party content posted on their sites. So in essence, ISPs are not saddled with publisher-type liability. It's not their job to police their websites to ensure that what other people post there uh, is not false or malicious. Uh, they're simply a platform. They provide a means of communication, and what happens there is not uh, their concern necessarily. And Jonathan, the high watermark, in my view, of Section 230 ISP immunity was best represented in the late 1990s case called Xeron versus AOL, American Online. And in that case, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, that's our federal appellate court uh, overseeing sort of the mid-Atlantic region, including Virginia where AOL is headquartered, held that AOL did not have liability even though Xeron, he was the plaintiff, established that the third-party content posted on the AOL site sought to connect him wrongly to the Oklahoma City Federal Building bombing, which at that time was the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil. And so these posts on the AOL site, again, sort of trying to link him to that bombing, uh, led to him receiving death threats. It caused the loss of his business, and um, he ultimately needed 24-7 personal protection because he was so concerned about his safety. And he alleged that AOL uh, not only you know, hosted these communications, but once he pointed them out to, him, to AOL, AOL would not take them down in a timely fashion. So we can see a, a very extreme situation where third-party posts were causing real harm to somebody on an ISP. And AOL's defense was Section 230 immunity. It's not our problem. And guess what? The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeal ruled in favor of AOL even in that extreme situation. Uh, since that case, there have been some judicial efforts to whittle down the broad immunity afforded, by, uh, afforded to ISPs by Section 230. But nevertheless, Jonathan, it still stands as a substantial barrier in efforts to pin liability on ISPs for third-party content. Um, and in part because of Section 230, and now I'm bringing this forward, uh, ISPs truly have flourished uh, since the enactment of this statute. Uh, frankly, I believe that companies like Facebook, Google, and Twitter 
are now some of the most highly valued companies in the world precisely because they have not had publisher-type liability that would give them any sort of real responsibility for the content of others. But in the last week or so, these three companies have been on our Capitol Hill testifying about what the heck happened during the 2016 presidential election. And yeah. Facebook alone revealed that one Russian group, just one Russian group, posted about 80,000 times during the campaign and reached over 126 million Facebook users here. Uh, and, of course, Congress is concerned that Facebook reportedly did not endeavor to ascertain the true identity of these posters, nor did Facebook allegedly seek to ascertain whether the information posted was true or false. And we can understand why that's important. So now, uh, in the wake of all of this, uh, efforts apparently are being undertaken by Facebook, as an example, uh, and some other ISPs, uh, especially in this election-type context, context now to try to ensure identity transparency and some accuracy via fact-checking. Um, but how far do these efforts really go? And can these ISPs on their own ensure the truth? And will Congress be satisfied by such regulations? Um, some members of our Congress do seem concerned, and the legislative machine may be gearing up. Uh, will Congress explicitly eliminate, or at least to some extent, heighten, uh, sorry, mitigate or reduce the, the broad immunity afforded to ISPs under Section 230? Um, uh, if so, uh, will such efforts require ISPs generally, Jonathan, to police third-party content, much like a traditional publisher? Uh, especially now that ISPs are all grown up and our Internet has truly matured. Uh, one reason why Section 30 was enacted back in the mid-1990s is we wanted our Internet to really flourish. Well, it has. Um, will legislation, if there is any, be tied primarily to the election context, you know, in election campaigns? Um, or is it possible uh, the ISPs can convince Congress that they truly can handle such problems on their own and that legislation... Uh, is unnecessary. But then will we be satisfied that these ISPs ultimately will be the arbiters of truth? So guess what? I'm just throwing you about 10 questions. <laughs> you can answer <laughs> one, two, three, none, however many you want. Uh, but I think it's a fascinating topic, and I think we're going to be seeing much more on this front. And I'd be interested in your thoughts, Jonathan, and any uh, parallels you have over there. No, I, I think it's a fascinating topic. I've been to two uh, fun, fa fantastic, well, well, three actually, uh, fantastic events this week. One, um, we hosted uh, Tom Fox, uh, a, a U.S. compliance expert, and had had a debate around a lot of this stuff. Uh, I also went to two events that the Media Society run in the U.K., one on um, old-school press, so a big corporate scandal back from, uh, I, I guess, when I was... Uh, uh, just fin finishing up my schooling um, between uh, uh, Tiny Rowland and Mohammed Fayed. Uh, Fayed, of course, went to, on to buy uh, Harrods and to allege that uh, his son mm -hmm. had been killed in, in the car with, with Lady Diana. So a lot of the inside track on this uh, on that dispute, and then um, and then also last night, Thursday night in in the UK. I went to a fascinating uh, event, which was in part with some of the 
um, journalists who'd been involved in the Paradise Papers leaks, and also Google talking about how they are leading the fight against fake news and a well-known, very well-respected media commentator in the UK who, who also talked quite a lot about fake news. And I, I won't talk about that too much because it was a behind-closed-doors meeting, but it was truly fascinating to look either end of the spectrum. You know, those two events are bookended by, what, 30 years? But to see the, 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 the differences and the similarities. And maybe I opened with that, that, that it was always sort of immunity was always the holy grail. Newspapers were always seeking it for stories like uh, exposing people like Syed and never really got it. And the, the other thing I would say, uh, I wish I... Uh, I mean, I think it's great that we're spontaneous and we don't know what topic each other's talking about. But I'm going to show really the limits of my language skills here because I know that there's a, a case absolutely just on this point, just breaking in Germany. And, mm. and I only have a uh, transcript of what went on in German. So bear with me. And to anybody, uh, don't take this as... as um, as, as an accurate or full tr summary of the case. But the case actually does concern Facebook, and it was brought by the Verbraucher uh, Central Bundesverband. They uh, are often thankfully known as the v uh, VZBV. And you might remember that in Germany there are uh, super consumer groups who can bring litigation on behalf of an affected class, if you like, but in the mm -hmm. name of the super consumer rather than individuals and the case insofar as i can work it out and please bear with me concerns uh, uh app uh, app central uh app centrum as it uh, as it's called it in german and they have uh, it seems a uh computer games um forum if you like on facebook and Facebook, of course, were trying, I, I believe, to run the sort of, you know, almost like the mere conduit defense. You know, we're not providing the games. We're creating a market in which the games can be played. And from what I can gather, this ruling from the uh, Berlin court said that because Facebook provided the buttons, uh, in this case, uh, Spiel Spielen, so uh, uh, game play, uh, um, sorry, that's the best I can do. And, and, um, and because the buttons were in Facebook's side of the fence, if you like, and then linked across to mm -hmm. the uh, games of other individuals and didn't give information about how data would be managed uh, in that handshake, if you like, the German court seems to have decided that uh, Facebook were liable uh, at least for data protection aspects, and that also the German courts could have jurisdiction over that. And that's significant with this whole GDPR debate about one-stop mm -hmm. shop and lead authorities. And you remember from the Schrems case that uh, Facebook's position is that uh, everything has to go through Ireland. So my point being, uh, uh, with this absolute uh, breaking news, I believe there's also an Advocate General's opinion in another case from Schleswig-Holstein, 
that's uh, come up in the last day or so as well on much the same point. And my point being, I think, that the that, that all of these sort of mere conduit-type defences, I think, are crumbling or at least being eroded as, uh, uh, as some of the conduits aren't mere anymore, particularly those who are taking considerable advertising revenue. Presumably, in this case, the Spiel Spielen button has some sort of handshake with the third-party provider, and I'm guessing that there's some monetization that's happening there, either with the online game provider sharing in-game revenues with Facebook or with um, with the uh, advertising revenue alongside. So that's my brief take on the case. What I'm going to commit to do, rather than try and translate German on the hoof, is, uh, is, is obviously give the right to reply to anybody who's involved in that case if I've misinterpreted it, and if I've got it substantially wrong, I'll mention it on the next podcast. But uh, but the principles are the same, I think, Eric, that we're seeing here as you are there, that, uh, that it's very tricky to get uh, to get this defense to run now. Interesting you mentioned Facebook. Literally just popped up on my Facebook news feed. I'm, I'm in a group of uh, professors who post, uh, law professors who post uh, developments, and the title of this post I received in my news feed was Commemorating the 20th Anniversary of Internet Law's Most Important Judicial Decision. And it refers to the Xeron versus AOL case. So this Sunday is the 20th anniversary of the Xeron case. So that came down in 1997, I believe one year after the enactment of Section 230. So that, like I said, went early on was a pretty high watermark in terms of ISP immunity. And I'm sure the ISPs would like that to still be the case. But you know, as we've been pointing out, uh, there is some erosion, clearly. And it and, and might very well be because uh, there's so much revenue now being taken in uh, by some of the major players. And yet, you know, they bring in the revenue. But, you know, do they really not have any uh, say or uh, influence uh, on content, especially when content can be problematical? So... Uh, By the way, Eric, that's the division of labor for which we're famous, isn't it? You're clearing down your inbox, and I'm trying to translate German court judgments on the hoop. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really trying to multitask. This came up in my face. But uh, I, just to be clear uh, for the world, Jonathan and I here are simply reporting. We're not taking positions here. Uh, we're just trying to track some developments. So um, I think it's time now to conclude. Uh, this has been your weekly uh, Tech Law 10. Thank you for joining us. I'm Eric Sinrod at DwayneMorris.com. You can reach me by email, ejsinrod at DwayneMorris.com. Uh, you can find us on the usual social media outlets, including some of these biggies uh, like Facebook and Twitter. Um, and Jonathan, why don't you complete the podcast? Well, thanks very much, Eric. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to speaking to you again in a week or so. Meantime, I'm Jonathan.Armstrong at CaudryCompliance.com. Look forward to speaking to you next time. Bye now. Bye-bye.